Welcome to Revenue Jam, powered by Sales Assembly. With monthly live sessions, interviews with our executive team, and exclusive conversations with revenue leaders across B2B tech, this podcast is guaranteed to help you close the skill gaps across your entire go-to-market team. If you're looking for weekly, relevant, and timely content like this, go ahead and subscribe. Let's get into this episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. We're super excited to have Tony Germanario and myself, Brad Rosen. Today, we're going to be talking about everyone's favorite subject, RFPs. So we're excited <laughs> to jump in. Uh, by way of introduction, I'm Brad Rosen, president at Sales Assembly. Sales Assembly does skill development for go-to-market teams to make them more efficient and effective. And uh, Tony, great to have you on. Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on, Brad. Really appreciate it. Uh, and Tony Germanario, I'm the RVP of Enterprise with Responsive, formerly RFPIO. Great. Well, I think let's jump in. Uh, we're excited to talk about this subject because I think while it maybe is not the uh, the subject of your Sunday dinners, it's definitely something that's super important, especially as we're selling uh, into folks these days, a lot of scrutiny around buying cycles and really digging into things. So let's talk about RFPs. If you're just getting started formalizing your RFP process, what is the ideal way to get it off the ground? Well, this is what we talk about at my Sunday dinner, so I don't know what dinners <laughs> are like, but uh, <laughs> no, I think, uh, you know, if you're just getting started, I think one of the things you really want to focus on is the content itself. That's really where it all starts. Um, you really need to have a good handle on what sort of content you have, uh, what's out there, what's relevant, what's up to date, because you want to have that one single source of truth that can be used across the enterprise. If you don't have a really good baseline to start with, you know, it could create a lot of issues in regards to those responses, timeliness, and really being consistent with the information that you're putting out there. You know, once you have a good handle on that content or an established content library, then you can really delve into the other parts of the process. Things like, uh, you know, AI, uh, collaborations, integrations, that way it can really become a more formalized process across the in entire organization. But it does really stem from that solid content library. Yeah, that, that all makes sense. And are there certain signs that you see where someone can say, oh, you know, maybe we do need an RFP process? Like what are the, the kind of leading indicators that maybe it's time? Um, usually when people can't really seem to find where that source is, they're always going all over the place to ask multiple people. They're not sure if the content is up to date. Um, and it's really everyone's, everyone's sort of putting in their own stamp onto the content where you probably don't want that happening. You want to be able to have consistent answers across the board because that does make it a lot more uh, time consuming if people are kind of doing their own thing rather than working on sort of the established uh, approved content that you want people to be able to work with. So those, I think that really has a, a big impact. Yeah, I would agree. And I think it's like, it's on both sides, right? Like the, the reps are spending more time trying to, to wrangle the herd, if you will. They're going to legal, they're going to deal desk, they're going to all these folks who have a say in, in what's going on. And so either they're going to spend a lot of time or they're going to do something on their own, which we don't want them doing and going rogue, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's one sign that you might need it. And the second is if you're trying to really make sure that you have the right terms in place, the right uh, understanding of what these deals are looking like um, from a company perspective and covering, you know, your bases on that side. So I think it's both the sales effectiveness play as well as making sure that we're getting the right contracts in place and the right people, you know, in our sales funnel. 
Absolutely. I mean, you really want to have that consistent message that you're driving across the board. So it, it becomes vital to the organization. Yeah, very, very good. Um, it seems a little counterintuitive, but let's talk about why somebody would not want to respond to an, an RFP. You know, it seems like, well, all business is good business, right? <laughs> uh, yes, people tend to think that sometimes, but in reality, especially as you're trying to scale as an organization, sometimes that's not really the best thing. So one, a, there's really a couple of reasons for why you might not want to respond. Uh, number one is really lightening the, the workload on your proposal team and avoiding burnout, right? You know, if, if you're really putting too much burden on the team and if they're not seeing you know, good results, if they're not closing the deals or getting uh, to the next stage within that process, you know, it becomes a little disheartening, right? So you really want your teams feeling good about the work that they're doing, the collaboration that they're doing. Because if they're responding to dozens and dozens of RFPs that really don't make much sense for them, it's going to drive that burnout. People will tend to either not do their job as well or maybe even look to move on. Um, another reason why you might not want to respond to an RFP is because you want to really just make sure you're investing your time wisely, right? And improving your win rates, right? If you're responding to a uh, 100 RFPs a month, but you're only winning 10% of them, well, that time could probably be best suited doing other things, perhaps improving their responses on those ones that you're best suited for. Or maybe there is another role within the organization they could be doing some better things for. So you want to give yourself the best chance to win and just not indiscriminately respond to anything that's out there. You really want to make sure you're making uh, or responding to the things that are going to make the most sense for the organization. Yeah, I think that's a great point because, yeah, usually we want to try and drive as many deals as we can. And this is a funnel in and of itself, right? Like typically we think of sales funnels is the top of the funnel. Like how do we drive leads into our organization? But the same way that you're talking about, there are plenty of leads that we would either reject or say, hey, that's not the right ICP fit for us. We're not going to take a discovery call or we're going to take a discovery call and qualify them out because they're not a good fit for our product. We do that because we understand that either they're not going to close or they are going to close and then they're not going to renew and they're going to be, you know, they're not a good fit for the solution. And in the long run, that's actually problematic. And in the same respect with RFPs, it's just a different part of the funnel, right? We've probably already done some of that upfront work, but now we have to really understand, do we want to invest that time and energy into this process? Because like you said, there's a finite number of resources. So if you keep doing it, right, um, you're going to use up those resources. And you made a great point. You may also then have be lacking resources on the ones that you do really want to focus on and concentrate on. Um, and that's where you want to make sure that you have the win rates. What I think is interesting is this all comes back to, to strong data and understanding what is a good customer and what is somebody, you know, somebody that you want to get into that RFP process with. You can only determine that, right, is by looking back at your data, understanding what your rate, your win rates are with a given segment. So maybe that's a certain company size, industry, uh, location, geography, and understanding each of those funnels individually to say, are is this a good funnel for us? And should we be spending our time in the RFP? So it really does go back to a lot of the data and analytics that you can pull to understand when you do want to um, be part of that process. Yeah, and I, I think you hit it on the head when you mentioned ICP, right? When uh, when people are starting to look at their funnels, they're trying to look at the ICP early on to qualify that opportunity. Uh, it really is the same thing with an RFP, right? When you get that, you, it might start off where it sounds like it's a qualified opportunity, but as you're continuing down the path and you get that RFP, 
if it's really not a good fit and something that you can sense right out of the box that, hey, this this isn't really for us. You really want to, you know, cut bait right there and move on to something that you're going to have a better chance at doing. Right. So uh, I, I think you're totally spot on with that. And we said not responding to RFPs. Do you think there are ever opportunities to find ways to continue through a deal without having to actually respond to an RFP and kind of get around that process? Or do you typically find that when when vendors are asking for an RFP, like that's you have to do that to be part of the deal? I think it kind of depends on the organization and the size of the organization that you're working with, right? Some some companies are very strict in their policies and the way they work with procurement and with vendors and things like that. I think some organizations, if you establish the right differentiation and you're working or you're you're working with the people that are at a high enough level, sometimes they can help you navigate around that, right? I, but I, I, I don't think that's the norm. I think that's more of, uh, you know, the, the differentiator out there that you you're, you hope to come across that would be great if you could. But a lot of times it seems that you kind of have to follow the process. Yeah, very much so. All right, so let's do a hypothetical. You're a growing organization. You're starting to get your RFP requests coming in. Can you talk us through the thought process of how we should determine if we should bid or not bid on an RFP? Like what what should the actual thought process be? Because we said, well, there's kind of go, no go. Like we've talked through that, but what are the decision points that you would look at within your organization to determine that? Sure. So I think there's there's a bunch of them and they can be, you could look at all of them. You could look at a couple of them and then determine which one kind of uh, if some are a higher priority than others. But uh, I'd start with, you know, just sort of the big picture of your organization, right? Does this opportunity really align with what we as a business really want to do long term? And does it fit our specific goals? Um, Then you also want to think about capabilities, right? When someone receives an RFP, it could have a hundred different lines of feature functions sort of questions, right? So are we really equipped as an organization to be able to fulfill those requirements? Now, it might be 80% or 90% or 40%, right? You have to be able to look at that and see where do you fit within that requirement and capability need? And can we also respond within the timelines that are going to make sense, right? Sometimes you might get a deadline that's three months out. Sometimes you might get a deadline that's three days out. So you have to really look and see, hey, do I have the resources and the capabilities to be able to do this properly? Um, Another one I think is profitability. You know, as you look at this specific proposal or this RFP, not only can we do it, but can we do it in such a way that's going to make sense for us as, as an organization from a profitability perspective? Right. You don't want to be bringing in and winning deals that don't make sense for you as an organization or that are going to bring down your bottom line dollar values. So those are, uh, those are three things. Um, I do think history of your responses is something else you can look at. You know, do I have content from another previous RFP or is there something in our content library that's going to help me respond to this in a better way? So if I do have good content out there and you know the timelines are tight, if I have the right information, it's going to help me respond a little bit better and a little bit easier. Um, and I think a last one is competition, right? As you look at the RFP, a lot of times you can tell who their competition is going to be based on the questions, based on the, uh, the the type of responses that they're requesting. So you can sort of make some determinations that way. And if you've done a good job on the sales size up front, sometimes you might be able to even 
guide them in a specific direction for when that RFP gets created. But I think those are a few things that you you might want to look at to determine whether you should or should not respond. Yeah, it makes total sense. What on all of these, it feels as though a lot of these decisions are coming from different places within your organization. There's definitely a product aspect to this. Like, do we have the capability to do this? There's definitely more of a business revenue operations perspective of like, do we want to take the time and investment to do this? And how much is this actual opportunity worth? There's obviously a sales lens from it. Uh, maybe a customer success. Like, can we service this client in the right way? Are we able to bring them on, renew them, upsell them? So talk to me about like internally, how do you typically see these decisions being made? Because obviously, short of like calling the whole executive team into a room, like it, it, there's a lot of moving parts. So how do people set this up the right way to ensure that they can get their answers from the right departments cross-functionally without having to burden uh, too much of the organization? Sure. I mean, collaboration is obviously key to that, right? You want to make sure that you have collaboration across the right teams to be able to make those sort of determinations. Um, but I think it stems from the account team first, right? Because they're the first team that's going to come in and really visualize the RFP, understand what that opportunity is, because they're going to be able to leverage the previous conversations and discussions and calls that have been uh, gone through first, right? Because if you just look blindly at an RFP, you might not have the full context. So the account manager is really key to understanding what that opportunity is and the best way to approach the RFP. Then once they have done that, that's where the collaboration really becomes important, right? Knowing uh, what sort of detailed information they might need from your customer success team, from your product team. You, know, you might need to bring in uh, product managers that are going to talk about future states because of some of the questions and the detailed information that they're looking for within the RFP. So collaboration is definitely a major, a major component of any sort of detailed response that you want to have. Yeah. Right. Um, all right. So one of the things you mentioned was profitability. And I do wonder um, the current situation versus, say, future situation. So, for instance, did you ever recommend an organization gets involved in a bid despite like an unsure outcome? So we don't know if it's profitable, maybe, but maybe this is like a, our first foray into a new customer segment or a new industry, a new customer base. So how would you think that organizations could handle that? of like, we want to take this on, but we don't want to cripple the organization with overburdened promises and, and kind of tech debt. So is there ever a point where you say, yeah, this is kind of worth a shot um, to try and drive maybe up market, if you will? Um, how do you make those calculations? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that, first of all, it's a great question because so many companies are expanding and changing their messaging, changing their products as they evolve as organizations, right? So I think in certain situations, it really comes down to where you are in uh, in your maturity level as an organization, right? If you're a if you're a younger company, you might want to respond to something just to get more visibility out there in the marketplace, right? To establish yourself as uh, as a responsive company. So, see how I did that? I tied in response there, <laughs> but uh, as a responsive company that you know is going to be very collaborative with their partners and their customers, right? So you start building that reputation as someone that's going to go into the marketplace and really try and drive the conversation and drive the market a little bit. Um, you may also want to do it just by understanding and learning more about the space itself. So if you are, again, a little bit less mature as an organization, 
but you want to learn more about the space, learn more about the customers that are out there, this would be a great way to be able to get those um, relationships built. Because oftentimes when you do send a response, if you're not selected, many companies will actually give you some detailed conversations afterwards so they can give you some uh, information behind that as to perhaps why you weren't selected or what were some questions within that um, within the scope of the RFP that perhaps you can get some additional detail on that's going to help you in your future state. So there's definitely some reasons why you might want to do that that could be advantageous to the organization. That's actually really interesting is you're getting market feedback uh, and they're, they're giving you that feedback. And from somebody who's a potential buyer, right, you might have lost the deal but it's a really interesting way to get yourself your foot in the door and understand what are people looking for? Where is your project falling, product falling short? Where, you know, are you winning? Um, it's almost like a market research project. And as we all know, like as you're putting together projects, you're thinking through things, you're, we talked about the cross collaboration within your organization. You're really starting to put together like a better understanding of where you actually stand. Um, yes. And so, yeah, that's interesting. Cause like even if, if, if it's just the RFP, even if you don't win it, you actually are gaining a lot of knowledge on that and then probably can do better, you know, the next time if, if that's what you're looking to do. Exactly. Exactly. It really puts you in a position where you're learning all the time and maybe you have some less experienced people on the team. It's a great way for them to be able to get some experience. Your product team can learn more about the space and what sort of questions are people asking. So, you know, if you're way off base, probably don't want to respond. But, you know, if, if it's an area where it's going to help you gain knowledge. Sometimes it's worth it to do that. That's great. Um, all right. So we get an RFP and let's just say we want to reject the RFP. Like we don't want to take it on. We talked about maybe it's not an ICP fit. Maybe we don't have the resources, whatever it may be. Um, sure. How do you do that and keep a good relationship, keep good standing without someone be like, you know, kind of offending the other party or <laughs> kind of making it uh a little tougher and we don't know, like maybe in two, three, four years, if we want to come back, right. And we have a different product, we've updated it. We've changed our, our messaging or our go to market and maybe that's a better time for us. So how do we do that in the right way and make sure that like folks aren't offended? Sure. Um, so I think number one, you always have to respond, whether you're going to respond to the submission, whether you're going to choose to opt out and not respond, you always want to respond in a respectful way, right? Because no matter where you're at with that specific customer, it's important to not burn a bridge or you know say something that's going to offend someone because this market changes rapidly, right? Just as you were mentioning, right? Like the product that you have might change a lot in the next 12 to 18 months. So maybe there's an opportunity to circle back and let someone know, hey, we've done this or we've done that, right? The second thing is, you know, people are fluid in their jobs nowadays, probably more than they ever have been before. So if you respond negatively here or don't respond, then that person goes to another role in another organization. They're going to remember that. On the flip side, if you were very respectful and, you know, you leave on good on good terms or on a good note, the next role that they take might have different needs and requirements that you could be a good fit for. And they'll remember that if you've done it, if you've handled the situation in the right way. Um I think the other thing to think about is when companies are kind of moving around, the organizations, I'm sorry, the, the, if I can kind of reframe that, the way I would think about that is a lot of the vendors, they're dealing with you know two or three year contracts or agreements, right? So 
things change very quickly. So you might have a conversation with someone today and their needs are so uh, are certain ones that you might not be the best fit for it. But a year from now, two years from now, their needs are going to change. Their agreement could be up and you might be in a much better fit at that particular time based on the way your company's evolved, the way your platform has evolved. So you always want to leave on good terms, make sure that they understand, hey, I'm going to be this isn't good for us. I wish you luck. I hope everything goes well. And we'll keep in touch and let you know of the updates that are going on here in case anything changes down the road. We love to be able to keep that line of communication open. So to me, that's always very important. You never want to kind of burn that bridge because you never know what's going to happen to you, to them, to the organization moving forward. Yeah, Tony, it's not rocket science, right? It's like if you're a recruiter, treat the candidates well. If you're a CSM and someone's churning, like treat them well because you never know when they're going to be back, right? Uh, treat everybody the right way, treat them well, and then hopefully in the future you'll be able to to work with them or not, but at least you gave a good impression or we didn't even talk about referrals or references. Hey, you know what? I know it didn't work out for us, but like we have this, you know, other customer, we have a different division within our company. We have someone else that might be interesting for you. Um, so treating people well, being responsive and uh, getting back to folks in the right way and time, I think is always important, no matter what role you're doing, but definitely here as well. Yeah. Uh, so you brought responsive in there as well. See how that worked? That was great. That's right. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> Your, your naming team, your brand team is doing a great job. <laughs> exactly. It's the old adage, right? People buy from people. If, if you're human to someone, if you're treating them with respect, they're going to remember that, right? And conversely, they'll remember it a lot more if you don't. So you never want to do anything that's going to put you in a, personally in a bad position because that puts your company in a bad position. That's going to make it a lot more difficult for you down the road. So, you know, if you handle it the right way, treat them with, with respect, wish them the best, Make sure you're understanding what their, you know, what their over, uh, overarching goals are. Then you can always put yourself in a position for down the road for, like you said, referrals, for new projects, for new organizations, whatever it might be. Yeah. Last question for you, Tony. Um, what trends or updates are you seeing in the RFP market? Like what are certain things that are happening maybe because of the way the economy is shaping up, or like you said, a lot of folks are changing jobs. People are really honing in on their ICP. Like, what are any you know one or two trends you're seeing, and things that folks can do to uh, counteract those trends? Sure. Um, well, I think people are trying to do a lot more with less, right? So one of the things I've seen a lot and uh, is just around the AI components within proposal management and proposal responses, right? Because it's becoming a lot more challenging to be able to manage those resources or you know, they don't have as many resources they might need to be able to get the responses done in proper timeframes. Having that AI technology behind it is making it uh, a lot easier and a lot safer way to be able to get the right, most consistent information out there. Uh, I know that's one of the things we've really focused on with our platform to be able to drive that AI technology in a way that's going to be valuable. So that's just a huge trend. Almost every company that we've been talking to have been looking for ways to do that. Um, not only does it help them keep a more consistent way of being able to respond to information, but it also lets them shape their responses in the ways that are going to be most pertinent for that specific uh, RFP that they might get, right? So they might have one RFP that's more technical, one that's, you know, more conversational. AI nowadays, you can actually have the platform change the content in such a way that's going to reflect 
whatever sort of nuances that you might want, right? And that becomes a huge time saver and makes it a lot easier down the road. And is it able to learn as well to say, hey, on the RFPs that we won, we answered things a certain way. And on the ones we lost, we answered it a different way. And we should really change the way we're responding based on the outcomes of the RFPs. Absolutely. Yeah. The uh, the reporting and the analytics side of it is, is a huge component nowadays as well, right? Because people are trying to use the data in such a way that's going to help shape their responses and drive them in the direction to the most profitable responses and most profitable RFPs. So you're absolutely right. That's a major part of, of what our platform does, what any good platform would really do. Yeah. And, and that's, that's really interesting because that is the crux of it. As we mentioned, there's a decision point at the top. Should we even respond? We know that AI or at least like some data analysis can help with that, this, that decision point. And we're not saying leave it only to that, but that should help you with an understanding of like where we are and, and where we could go with it. Um, and then the second part is if we do decide to go and, and do the RP, then how are we actually filling it out? What is the language we're using? How do we put ourselves in the best position forward? Uh, so that's, that's wonderful. And then I think the last takeaway that we spoke about was even if you're not sure you're going to win or you're entering a new market, it can still be really valuable to fill out RFPs, get the feedback from the company, understand what you're doing well, what you're not doing well, where you can improve. And that should be a great piece of market feedback that you can use moving going forward. Absolutely. Well, this was great. Tony, thank you so much for the conversation. We're uh, really excited to have you on. And uh, if anyone's looking to get a hold of myself or Tony, you can connect with us on LinkedIn. And uh, obviously, check out Sales Assembly and Responsive if you're looking for skill development or RFP, help with your RFPs. Thanks for the time, Brad. Really appreciate it. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Revenue Jam. If you want more practical tips and sales leadership advice, join us for our monthly live sessions. You can join in the conversation with Todd, Sam, Jen, and Matt every single month by going to lp.salesassembly.com slash live. And if you're looking for a solution to upskill your entire go-to-market team, check out salesassembly.com slash tour to see an ungated interactive demo. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode.